0: Today, we will be speaking with Julian Ashwin. He'll get us started with an introduction about himself, then we'll jump into the talk about central bank communication. Enjoy the talk.
1: Hi, uh, I'm Julian Ashwin. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the London Business School and recently uh, got my PhD in economics from Oxford University. Uh, My research focuses a lot on Uh, macroeconomics and monetary economics, particularly on the effects of longevity and aging on the macroeconomy. Uh, And I use a lot of tools from the kind of natural language processing machine learning literature uh, in my research.
0: What is the goal of central bank communication? And what are the things that they're trying to focus on either saying or mentioning in their communications?
1: Uh, so it's a good question. So I think there are there are a few different objectives that a central bank has in its communication, um, and I think maybe the, the the easiest to understand is they want to be transparent. and They want to be accountable, uh, particularly because in recent decades central banks have become politically independent. So they're not elected; they're they're appointed, and they're bureaucrats. They're not kind of politicians, so they don't have that direct democratic mandate. But they make really important important decisions that affect all of our lives. So they want. To be seen as transparent and accountable so that the public know what's going on, why they're making the decisions that they're making, that they're not this kind of like ivory tower of experts that think they know better than everyone else. So I think that's a big part of why central banks are communicating a lot more than they were in the past, is that transparency and accountability. But more on the economic side, I think there are a couple of other reasons which are really important um, and one is to influence expectations about future policy, uh, and I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit more later on in the, in the in our chat. Um, but central banks want they, the central banks. The main policy instrument they have is the interest rate that they can change, um, but they also want to influence the expectation that the public have about future interest rates. Uh, so if you kind of think about it as a, there are lots of different interest rates in the economy. There are long-term interest rates, and then there are short-term interest rates. So if you borrow for three months, you're going to get a different rate than if you borrow for 10 years. Uh, And these long run interest rates essentially are just an average of lots of expectations of short term rates. Uh, There's other stuff going on, but that's kind of fundamentally what's going on underneath. So if a central bank can influence our expectations about future rates, they can change those long run interest rates as well as those short run interest rates. And so they can have a more powerful policy uh, lever there. Uh, And then finally, and this is particularly relevant to, to my research, they might also want to communicate the information that they have about the state of the economy. So central banks all have like big staffs that do a lot of research, that do a lot of analysis of how the economy is going at the moment. And they might want to communicate some of that information uh, to agents. If they, if they have information that inflation is particularly high or that the economy is maybe heading into a recession or it's not heading into a recession, they might want to communicate that information to the to the public.
0: And regarding expectations, you talk a lot about the importance of private sector expectations from central bank communications. Can you touch a little more on the relationship between central banks and private sectors, and why the expectations that the private sector has are so significant economically?
1: Sure, yeah. So like I said before, the the main uh, kind of instrument that the central bank has to try to influence the economy is through interest rates. So the central bank, they set some kind of interest rates in interbank markets and those sorts of things. But for, for you and I, we can't, we can't put our money in the central bank. We can't borrow money from the central bank. So the interest rates that the central bank directly has control over, we can't. they don't directly affect us. But where the interest rates that do affect us are the rates that our banks offer us. So when you put savings in a deposit, you'll get some interest on that. Or if you take out a loan from a bank or from another institution, you'll pay interest on that. <clears throat> and so the 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 expectations so those 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 uh, loans that we take out will be from private sector institutions things like banks or related institutions Uh, so the expectations that those institutions have for interest rates are going to influence the rates that they offer us now so if our bank thinks that interest rates are going to go up and we go in and we ask for a mortgage they're going to give us a higher rate because they think rates are going up in the future whereas if if we go in and they think rates are going to fall the opposite is going to happen so because the way that interest rates affect the general economy are through these private sector institutions, uh, their expectations are really important uh, in terms of setting because they set those interest rates. Um, and I think there's, a, I mean, another reason is aside from interest rates, private sector agents, we all make decisions every day. Uh, like we decide whether to take out a mortgage or whether to take out a loan, whether to start a business, whether to buy this new fridge or to save the money for because we think the economy might be getting worse. And so particularly our expectations about the state of the economy in the near-term future can have a big influence on the decisions we make. So if, for example, everybody thinks we're heading into a recession, we're all going to cut back on our spending, and then quite possibly a recession happens. Whereas if the central bank has information that the reason we think that there's going to be a recession isn't really true, uh, the risks aren't that high, if they can communicate that to the private sector uh, and to us, then we're less likely to cut down on our spending now because we have more confidence and then we can perhaps even avoid that uh, recession. So both through that interest rate channel, but also through p- how people think the economy is going, those ex- the expectations that people outside of the bank, the private sector, households uh, have, are gonna be really important for how the central bank is able to stabilize the economy.
0: In your research, you talk about a concept of multi-dimensional uncertainty. Can you talk about this in the context of central bank communications?
1: Sure, yeah. So what I mean in, in, in my work by multidimensional uncertainty is that there are there are lots of different variables in the economy. There are a lot of different things going on. Um, so typically, we think of a central bank, well, most central banks legally, their job is to control inflation. That's their number one priority. So they want to make sure that prices go up by, on average, 2% or so every year, not more, not less. So obviously, central banks care about inflation. They're going to be looking at what's happening with inflation um, and uh, their communication is going to be about that. But there are also a whole lot of other things that central banks care about, partly because they influence inflation, but partly because they're important for their own right. Uh, for ex- I mean, the good example here is unemployment, right? So the, the Federal Reserve tries to keep inflation stable, but they also care about unemployment. If, if keeping inflation stable means having a massive... A recession and loads of people lose their jobs. They're gonna, they're gonna kind of not want to do that. Um, and in fact, that's they even have that as official policy now that they kind of care about both of those things. So clearly, there are multi dimensions. So these are the two big ones would be unemployment and inflation. There are a whole load of other things, looking at the housing market, for example, or looking at uh, uh, commodity prices. All these different dimensions. And the context in which I'm looking at that is from the uh, from the perspective of a central bank's communication. So central banks communicate to the world of world, they explain their decisions and they explain what they think is going on in the economy, but they only have a limited amount of, of communication with which to do that. A central bank is, I mean, they know that n- no one's going to read if they put out pages and pages and pages every day, no one's going to read that stuff. So they they kind of limit themselves to having a few reports, a few statements, those sorts of things, releasing the minutes of their meetings, those sorts of things. So in that limited communication, they need to decide what to talk about. And so what my work tries to do is think of, is, is kind of think about that decision. We've got lots of different things going on, on, uh, on in the economy, and there's uncertainty about all of them. We've got multidimensional uncertainty. We've got uncertainty about prices. We've got uncertainty about housing market and so on. And so when I communicate with the wider world, I need to decide which of these things to talk about. I'm going to have stuff to say about all of them because I've got my projections about them and all those sorts of things. So what the paper tries to do is, is, is think about where should that central bank put their focus? What should they talk about more? Uh, and I kind of argue that they should put more focus on areas in which there's more uncertainty in the private sector or where their signal is better than the private sector signal. So where they can improve the expectations in the private sector, when they, uh, when they can increase that information, they should focus more on those areas. So that's what I mean by multidimensional uncertainty. So you've got all these different things going on in the economy. There's uncertainty about all of them. What should I talk about? And then I kind of show empirically using some natural language processing tools that we can correlate what the central bank talks about with where there is more uncertainty in the economy and where their signal is better than the private sector signals. So there's kind of they 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 are, they are following that, uh, that kind of logic that they're going to talk more about areas in which their information is going to be more useful to the private sector where they can have the best impact.
0: Now, I imagine that your research in this topic is very relevant in this current era, uh, considering how volatile the economy has been over the course of the last three or so years with COVID, uh, then a crazy bull market, and now um, slowing economic conditions. So how has the importance of central bank communications change in recent years due to these volatile economic trends?
1: Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. It's a, it's a big question. Um, so I, I'd say we kind of want to break recent times into two eras, if when we're talking about central bank communication, there's the last few years, essentially, since the pandemic. But then also since the financial crisis, since that, the Great Recession, we had a long period there. Where interest rates were really at their, what we call the zero lower bound or the effective lower bound. Uh, Interest rates were close to that nominal zero rate. And there are all sorts of reasons why we think nominal interest rates can't go lower than that zero, which kind of meant that central banks couldn't do their normal stuff. What central banks normally do to try and stabilize the economy is they'll cut rates to get the economy growing quicker, or they'll raise rates to get the economy growing slower. But if you're stuck at that bottom and you can't move anymore, you don't have your main tool. And so then communication, is something that you can still do. So central bank communication became really important in that kind of like 2010 to 2020 kind of period, because one of the central bank's main tools was taken away from them. They couldn't use the interest rate anymore because it was at that lower bound. So what they could do is talk about what they were gonna do with the interest rate in future. So remember, we talked a bit there about how those long-run interest rates, when you get a mortgage out, there's kind of an idea of an average of expected short-term interest rates underneath that long-term interest rate. So if I'm a central bank and I can convince you that I'm going to keep this interest rate low for very, very long, then I can influence those long-run interest rates, which are very important for things like mortgages or business loans and things like that. So communication was really important there because uh the main tool the main tool that they had was not there in communication was something they could use instead more recently we've had in, we've had a lot of volatility and central bank communication kind of plays a different role there uh, and i think the main role it plays there is to try and essentially calm people down um so a lot of it is it's it's kind of more of a behavioral so uh it's not necessarily uh, a role that you can technically write down as cleanly in a model it's more of a behavioral markets have a of a tendency to panic if uh, i mean yeah if if everyone if you see everyone else selling you're going to want to sell as well if the central bank can come out and show that they're in control and communicate that they have a plan for this situation and that they're going to implement that plan and it's going to make things better and they're confident and they're in control there's kind of a coordination effect there that if we if the central bank comes out and they say something very convincingly and i think by and large at least in the early uh, kind of months of the pandemic, they did a really good job of this, and we avoided. We had stock market crashes, but uh, they didn't. We didn't end up kind of a systemic crisis there in financial markets, and a lot of that might be because central banks looked like they were in control. They kind of had a plan. They implemented that plan, and markets trusted them. And partly, markets trusted them because they built that trust up over a, a long period of time. Um, But yeah, in that in those extremely volatile times, communication is important, less so because of this idea of like uh, promising things about the future and affecting affecting longer term interest rates, but more so in just kind of having people having faith that the central bank will stop a meltdown, they'll stop a big crisis from from happening. So yeah, I think in recent years, that's been a really important role for for central banks.
0: And what has the development been like historically of central bank communication when this is something that really started to pick up and how did things like the 2008 financial crisis, for example, impact this?
1: Yeah. So that's a, it's a good question. So there's kind of been over, Oh yeah. In in the last few decades, there's been a big change in central bank communication in that they started communicating. So previously there was kind of a, 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 an attitude among central bankers that you wanted to not really tell anybody what you were doing. You wanted to keep a kind of strategic ambiguity and not really uh, show your hand to markets. Kind of keep, keep your cards close to your t- chest, as it were. Um, but then, partly because central banks became independent, so they became more bureaucratic, and there was kind of um, a bit more of a democratic deficit there. They weren't directly appointed by elected politicians. Um, there was a move then towards being more open and communicating more. Um, so, and so that started from kind of the, the 1990s onwards. Um, but then, well, so, so that, that that was kind of more political uh, considerations than anything else. But since the financial crisis, and when we hit that zero lower bound on interest rates, that effective lower bound, interest rates couldn't go any lower because they were already at zero. Then the central bank communication became a tool, um, and then that sparked kind of a big academic literature, but also policymakers were thinking about it a lot. We need to kind of stimulate the economy, but we can't cut interest rates anymore. Uh, so what can we do? We can make promises, and then there's there's a there's a very big literature there on how to make those premises credible. Do those and there's a literature trying to work out do those pre- promises work? Are they believed and do they have impacts? And I mean, I think people people come down on both sides of that debate whether this kind of forward guidance type, so promising future interest rates, uh, works. Uh, I don't think we've fully got an answer to that yet. But then I think yeah, since since the since that uh, zero lower bound period. Central bank communication has become really, really important and used as a tool for policy, not just as a justification for what we're doing and about transparency and accountability and those sorts of things. And as for what the future holds, I guess we don't know. I think a lot of this is going to be reactive. So what happens in the economy, central banks will have to react to that and how they tailor their communication and how they use their communication and how we think about central banks communication will probably come down to a lot a lot down to the types of crisis, the types of problems that the central banks face.
0: You mentioned this big importance and reliance on central bank communication in the 2010s period, continuing now, moving forward, are there people that are concerned that people become too dependent on just the manner and what central banks are saying, rather than um, what they themselves believe economic trends actually are?
1: So, I mean, I think what kind of really helps you out to not have to worry about that is the, the like profit motive in markets. So if if you think that everyone is blindly following the central bank and you think the central bank is wrong, then you can make a lot of money by betting against the central bank. And generally, uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of markets in the world are not efficient. A lot of markets don't work very well, but particularly if we think about these kind of in large developed economies, the markets for bonds and interest rates and those sorts of things, there's a lot of people paid a lot of money a lot of smart people who who want to try try and find that tiny little edge in those markets so if there is a risk of everybody just believing the central bank uh, and the central bank being wrong uh, then i think there'll be there'll be a, there'll be some people on trading desks that are going to make a lot of money and they're going to remove that they're going to remove that wedge uh, very quickly having said that there is this idea that the central bank can kind of there can be a kind of self fulfilling prophecy there and so, if if everybody like kind of uh, and the story I was telling earlier, if the central bank convinces us all that there's not going to be a recession, and then we all act as if there isn't a recession, I mean, ultimately a recession is just us acting as if there is a recession. If we if we all just carry on spending and working and hiring as normal, there won't be a recession. So there is that self fulfilling prophecy element. I think that's that's but that's that's a good thing. If the central banks can manage to credibly harness that, it means they can stabilize the economy by stopping these kind of uh, expectation-driven crises.